Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. And this week, we're actually taking another break, right, Crystal? Yeah, things happened. Yeah, it turns out that uh, we got behind and we hate to do it, but this is another week where we're not going to be releasing a new episode. But believe us, Crystal is working on something really big, right? Really big. But this is a really good episode, and it is new because no one's heard it unless you're a Patreon. That's right. So it's another example of a Patreon, and this one is about a haunted house and a place that we really want to go visit, right? Yeah, it's the Joshua Ward House. In Salem, Massachusetts. So check out this episode, and if you like it, you can find more like it on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash scary savannah, or check it out in the Patreon app. Go dogs and go braves. Go dogs, go braves. And please enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening to Scary Savannah and Beyond. Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This week, we're going back to a Haunted House episode because it seems like it's maybe been a few episodes since we've done a Haunted House, hasn't it? Is this a Patreon, I'm assuming? Yeah, this is a Patreon <laughs> episode. Episode number? Episode number, I have no idea. I think it's 44. Okay, just so we're clear. Yeah, I just want to be clear that I don't know. So we'll go with 44. And we have been talking about, at some point, visiting the city of Salem, Massachusetts, if we can ever stop going to Las Vegas with every vacation that we take. Never going to happen. You're right. It's probably (laughs) not. So it's one of those things we talk about going and doing, but we probably never will. Maybe they have like a virtual tour. You know, you can like take a virtual tour of homes. I didn't think of that. That wouldn't be as good, but it would definitely be something. It would save us a lot of money for Vegas. Yeah. We do need to work on that because we got a new strategy on those slot machines that we're going to try when we go back. I'm sure it'll work. We always have a new strategy. It never changes. All the strategies end up in the same place. Yeah. So I keep up with several groups out of Salem in my social media, and I stumbled on a story about a very interesting house there. Yeah, see, there's one we follow. It's a woman who dresses like a witch every day. I think it's a man... That dresses like a woman that is a witch, I think, if we're thinking of the same thing. I thought it was a woman, but it's a witch. Yeah, I'm not (laughs) sure what it's called, but either way, it's definitely a scary-looking witch to go along with the theme of the city. And I visited Salem one time back in 2012, I think it was, and I was there for a training trip for my real job in the city of Peabody, Massachusetts. And nobody up there calls it Peabody. They call it Pibbity. Another thing that you can't do in the state of Massachusetts is make a left turn. Is that real or is that just your perception of where you were? That was my perception of where I was, but I was driving a rental car at the time. And I do recall that everywhere I went, I had to get off and make a right right turn (laughs) to get where I was going. Every single turn ended up being a right turn. I remember you struggled driving in Washington, D.C. as well. To get to Peabody, I had to drive through Boston, and I did not like that. Oh, so we'd have to do that? If we flew into the Boston airport, Is there anything closer? Probably, but... um, Can you fly right into Salem? Oh, certainly. I mean, I can can just literally fly right into the city. (laughs) Land next to the bewitched statue. I mean, it's probably not sanctioned. 
That's what I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, it could be done. Peabody isn't that far from Salem, so I drove there for a day just to experience it. And the city of Salem actually does remind me quite a bit of Savannah. There are a lot of interesting houses there, much in the way Savannah has them, like the House of Seven Gables, which was featured in a story by Nathaniel Hawthorne, he of the Scarlet Letter novel fame. Did you read that? I read it because I had to at school. Yeah, I had to at school. And I didn't understand it at the time. I mean, I understood it, but I don't think I'd understand it like I would as an adult at this point. It was a little bit over the head of a seventh grader at the time. It's a pretty deep subject. Yeah. And I was surprised that it was sort of required reading, but, you know, I just vaguely remember it. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the houses I didn't see there, or just didn't know that it was a big deal, I might have walked by it, is the subject of our story tonight. And that is the house that was known as the Joshua Ward House. And there's a picture of it. That's a nice house. I'm guessing federal style. You are a very astute observer of script. I actually would have thought that because of the houses in Savannah. We have a few like that. Yeah. Well, I believe that you knew that before you read Ford. I, I did read it, but I think that one, you know, with the ghost cat, I think that one's also in the federal style. It does look similarly shaped, mm-hmm. I guess. Clearly what the city of Salem is best known for is its history dealing with supposed witchcraft, and the Joshua Ward House has some ties to that sordid past. The house itself was constructed in 1784 and is noted for being one of the first brick homes to be built in the city of Salem. As Crystal noted, it is a three-story federal-style home. It has woodwork from Samuel McIntyre, known as the Architect of Salem, who built some very desirable furniture in the Sheraton style, and only 100 pieces or so of this still exist today. I am sure that you're intimately familiar with the Sheraton style, of course. Here's a picture. I am, actually. I think we saw one of those at Goodwill the other day. Probably that exact one. Should have bought it for $20,000. I did get a really nice piece of furniture at a thrift store for 20 bucks, and it's like from the 60s. You're talking about our buffet? Yeah. Yeah, I love that thing. Yeah, it's worth a lot of money. I'm going to pay $20 for it. $20. Yeah, I did scratch up the top, but. You know, that happens sometimes <laughs> when you live life. <laughs> it does. An original floating staircase in the home by McIntyre is his oldest surviving work to this day. The house was built for and named after its owner, Joshua Ward, who was a merchant that specialized in importing molasses for rum, Sumatran pepper, which was quite the hit at the time, tea, spices, silks, and various other import-related items. Are Sumatran peppers hot? I don't know. I've never never had a Sumatran pepper that I can recall, but that is something I think I'm going to look up. You should. It has a history of being very notable, so much so that even George Washington himself wanted to stay there specifically and requested it when he was in town. Must have been the nicest house in town. It was quite the bee's knees, as the young ones say these days. From 1700s, yeah, that's a nice house. Yeah. In the 1800s, it operated as a tavern known as Washington Tavern, and it was also a boarding house. They name it after George Washington since he stayed there. G-dub is what or they said. Like George Washington. Washing on to his name, his coattails. We trying to get some fame <laughs> and notoriety somehow. In 1891, it became a hotel and was known as the Washington Hotel. Still holding on to that, aren't they? They ain't going <laughs> to let it go. And remained open for business until 1937. 
In the 1950s, it housed several different businesses, including a window cleaning company and even the Department of Public Safety. I wonder if they like renovated it then to make it like... I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. It had come to be known the Washington Building around 1964 and housed even more businesses. When did they change its name? They're still holding on to Washington. They can't let it go. It's a name that don't tarnish with age is what they're saying. Around the 1970s, a developer approached the Salem Redevelopment Authority, which controls planning over Salem's downtown area. They wanted to purchase the building and tear the structure down. Why do they want to do that? It's I hate like, those people. They want to tear down history. Why would you do that? They want to tear down paradise and put up a parking lot. Pave paradise. Yeah, someone should write a song is? about that. Is that what it is? They bulldoze paradise and put up a parking garage. Who knows? It's the counting <laughs> crows. That's all I know. Thankfully, they declined to accept the offer. Oh, good. Then, in 1978, the home was added to the National Register of Historic Places. Oh, now it's safe. It's safe. GW Building, which no one calls it today, apparently, (laughs) is fine. It was renovated under the direction of architect Stanley B. McDermott, and a few add-ons were built, going back to your previous question, which included a rooftop deck and a frontispiece at the entrance. Whatever a frontispiece is. Defined frontispiece. I'm going to look at this picture. It's a piece. It's on the front, and the picture I showed earlier may not be the absolute latest current iteration because currently I'm going to address what it has become today, which we haven't got to that yet. From the 1980s through the 1990s, the Higginson Book Company resided there. What a great name for a book company. I wonder if you could get the Maleficent, what is it called? The Maleficent. The Malleus Maleficarum. Malleus Maleficarum. Well, that's something that they, you know, used in the witch trials, wasn't it? Yeah. So probably. Then in 2014, the house was put up for sale for the meager asking price of $900,000 and was purchased by Todd Waller. So in today's money, what is that? $900,000 and 67 (laughs) cents. I think it's a little more than that. He then opened it on October 29th, 2015, as a boutique hotel known as The Merchant after the original owner, Joshua Ward, because, as I mentioned earlier, he was a merchant. Oh, why don't they, like, make it fancy and call it Merchant? Maybe that is how it's pronounced. Maybe. The GW Merchant. <laughs> we got to bring GW back into mm-hmm. it. It even offers the George Washington King Deluxe Room, which is the room that George Washington himself stayed in while visiting the home. I bet that would be an interesting place to stay where the President of the United States stayed. I wonder if it's like an apparition of his false teeth floating around the room. Undoubtedly, mm. for sure. Then I'll go. Perfect. But after telling you all this history and giving you the description of this beautiful mansion slash hotel, I regret to inform you that this house is not the reason for this whole story, even though it's named after it. But it does play a part, and you're going to see why. What we're actually interested in is the home that preceded this home on the same plot of land. You see, before the current Joshua Ward house was built, this was home to another famous Salem resident that occupied the exact same area. And that resident was none other than Sheriff George Corwin. And Corwin played a very nefarious role related to the Salem witch trials. 
he was the high sheriff in Salem during the witch trials. Are all sheriffs the high sheriff or they're just sheriff? Andy Taylor was a high sheriff. I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, is it the high sheriff and they just shorten it to sheriff? Well, if I was a like sheriff and formally, I could be called the high sheriff, yeah, then don't I would call be me like, just, hey, I'm high sheriff. Yeah, call me high sheriff. Although on Tybee, that might have a whole different meaning. <laughs> it might. He personally signed warrants for the arrest and execution of those that were condemned for witchcraft. Not only did he do this, but he was also responsible for selecting the execution site for the 19 people that were hanged for their supposed crimes. If this was all he was guilty for, it would be enough, I think. But he was involved in far more insidious things than this, horrors that he committed upon these poor people. He would personally interrogate the accused himself to try to coax out a confession. The sheriff had a nickname, and that nickname was The Strangler. Oh, so he preceded the Boston one. I would assume so, (laughs) because the Boston one probably wasn't around during the Salem Witch Trials. No. So it wasn't an original name. Thought the Boston Strangler was like a. I've never even heard of the Boston. You've Strangler. never heard of the Boston Strangler? No, I haven't. My gosh, it's like one of the most famous serial killers of all time. I know about as much about serial killers as you do about famous bass guitarists. You you know a lot more than you used to. Uh, that is true, but I am still woefully undereducated in true crime. They but, just did a special on that on like Netflix or one of those Hulu's or something oh. about the Boston Strangler. I watched the first part. I haven't seen the rest yet. I don't even know when it happened or it what 60s. it was, but maybe it might be interesting. It I don't know. It'd probably be infuriating. Like every time I watch these things and find out at the end they haven't solved the crime yet, like the one we just watched Oh, well, they did solve it. Oh, they solved that one? Yeah. Well, then it might be interesting. Yeah. It seems one of his favorite ways to try to get the accused to confess their allegiance to the devil was to tie the neck of the victim to their ankle so tightly with rope that it would cause them to bleed from their nose. Is that possible? I don't know, Uh but it's one of the legends. It's not something that they can confirm, so it might not be entirely factual. It is stories that are passed on. Take it with a grain of salt, like a lot of the stuff you hear about in Savannah. He was not subtle or gentle in his methods of forcing a person to incriminate themselves. That is terrible, especially if that part's true. We can all agree to that. I can't imagine the horrors these people were forced to endure, realizing that there was no way out of what was coming, only pain. Whether they want to, really the only way to try to prove your innocence, you're going to die through that. So if you burn at the stake, you're... So, but yeah, even if you confess, then you've confessed your allegiance to the devil, so they're going to kill you either way. There's no way to win in this scenario is what I'm saying. Right. But what does all this have to do with the Joshua Ward house? Do tell. I will attempt to. As I mentioned earlier, before the Ward House stood on the plot, it was the home of Corwin. And the interrogations, he preferred to do those at his home. I wonder if he was wearing like one of those nightcaps and a gown like they wore like back then. Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck. McDuck. That's just how I see him holding a candlestick. Like this Probably is not, <laughs> but it's an interesting picture you painted, especially seeing what he looked like. That's just it? what I picture. <laughs> That's right. These terrible acts were performed on the very same spot as where the house would be standing today. It's even said that the non-formal interrogations took place in his basement. And by non-formal, I mean the torturous type of interrogations. So the formal ones were upstairs. That is what they say. <laughs> Apparently we'll go into the a, parlor. A torture basement, I think <laughs> is what it amounts to. Go to the parlor for formal investigations. 
The people, not surprisingly, would eventually pledge their allegiance to the devil just to try to end their suffering, which is no surprise when you see all that they had to go through. It seems that Corwin didn't just think he was doing his job. He enjoyed the act of torturing and even killing his victims. So he's a sadist. Yes, it sounds like it, especially when you find out what else he did. The only thing separating him from being your run-of-the-mill serial killer is that he had control of the government to do the ultimate end of his dirty work for him. Sounds like he had a job he loved. Yeah, well, (laughs) it sounds like it. You know, he had a racket, that's for sure. And one of the worst parts is that all of these methods were available to him as they were completely legal for him to do at the time in the name of the law. This is like the origin story of the good old boy system. It could be. It definitely sounds like it. But it wasn't all about achieving a goal of his perceived justice, as I'm sure will come as no surprise to you. He had another angle tied to his acts, except for land. He was allowed to seize property from his prisoners. Oh, so it's a money-making proposition as well. For him it is. Once they were convicted of witchcraft, he had free reign to take their possessions, which included jewelry, furniture, their livestock, even their crops. Who put this guy in charge? I don't know. Like, isn't the sheriff an elected um, official these days? I wonder if he was back then. Seems like they would have voted him out. He said, well, God said I'm the sheriff. (laughs) The high sheriff. The high sheriff. And they just said, well, it makes sense. Yeah. One wouldn't be too far off in thinking that what was the truth behind what happened in these Salem witch trials, they weren't interested in doing the Lord's work so much, at least how they professed to view it. don't say. As they were trying to find out a way to get rid of people they deemed undesirable and achieve taking possession of their goods. Mm. And the enrichment of themselves from the process was just the icing on the cake, so to speak. If there ever was a place that negative energy would reside, it would be in the former homestead of Sheriff George Corwin. So now that you know the history of the house, let's talk a little about the reported spirits that may haunt those halls to this day. Please tell me it's George Washington's teeth. Okay. They were scary. I'll just add that. I mean, who's to say? Really? Don't you think they were scary? Uh, Wooden teeth would be terrifying. Mm -hmm. I'm scared of thinking of them at the moment. They made false teeth out of a lot of different things back then. What if he'd had them made of gold back then? Oh. That would have been so cool. Someone would have dug his body up. And And they would have done stole. Like they talked about doing that guy in St. Augustine. Yeah. Which we'll talk about on a future Mm -hmm. episode. There have been multiple sightings throughout the years of a variety of spirits. One of those reported is the ghost of Giles Corey. He was a wealthy farmer at the time of the trials and was married to Martha Giles, who was his third wife. Giles was 80 years old and lived in the city of Peabody. You know, when I told you about earlier that I went to for training, so that's not that far away from Salem. Giles was heavily swayed into believing the witch trials at the time, so much so that when accusations were brought against his wife, he was at first thinking that those accusations might be true. His enthusiasm (laughs) surely faded when shortly thereafter he too was accused. Would you like throw me to the witch hunters? I only throw you to the people in the TSA checkpoint (laughs) line. You did. You just dropped me real quick. That's her bag. That's her bag. I don't know her. I ain't never seen her, but that's definitely her bag. So you would turn me over as a witch, wouldn't you? Of course not. I would go be, you know, hanged with you. We'd both go. Okay, we'll see. I'd say she's innocent. (laughs) Totally innocent. On April 18th, 
1692, he, along with Mary Warren, Abigail Hobbs, and Bridget Bishop, were arrested on the charges of witchcraft. So how far away did you say Peabody is? Peabody? It was a short car ride. I don't know how long it would have been on like a horse and wagon. of Salem at the time? Like how far was their reach? Uh, If I recall, like I said, it's been a long time since I went there. It seemed like it was a 30, 40 minute car ride maybe from Peabody. That's a long way for them to go haul him off to trial. They probably just wanted him because he had money. He was very, very wealthy. That's for sure. Okay. The next day, they were being examined by authorities, and Hobbs accused Giles of being a wizard. I said, this is a fellow prisoner? Yeah, Abigail Hobbs, Uh, one of the most famous supposed witches of the entire trial. Giles denied the accusation and refused to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. He was then sentenced to prison and arraigned in September. According to the law of the time, a person that refused to plead could not be tried. So the court would have been in a conundrum if they didn't have their legal remedy of paying for it at dure. That's French, and I'm sure I butchered it. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's at all what that is. Why don't you is. take a stab at it? I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's pain. Pine forte et dirte. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll just say that's close enough. And for Corey, this meant being pressed. This is the uh-huh. only known example of this act being sanctioned in American history. What pressing is, is being stripped naked and then heavy boards were laid over your body. They would then add rocks and boulders onto the planks of wood. They did this over the course of three days. And this whole process was overseen by, you guessed it, George Corwin. Was he the mastermind of this punishment? He was definitely one of the ringleaders, if not the main man. After the second day, they asked him to enter a plea, thinking he would surely try to escape the pain. He replied, more weight. I think we did this in the famous last words. We did. We actually did some words from some of the accused witches as well. Of course, Corwin obliged him. He even stood on top of the stones on top of uh, Corey's chest to help fulfill that request. He did eventually die after several days of this torture. Supposedly, his last words were, Damn you, I curse you, and Salem. Since he refused to plead, however, he didn't lose possession of his estate and was able to pass it on to his two sons-in-law per the requirements of his will. See, I find it like strange that he didn't just lie and say, oh, he whispered it in my ear, like Alec Murdoch said about... <laughs> I assume there's more than one person there to track him doing it. And yeah, but he could, have, like, he could have made them all comply. Maybe. By offering them something. I don't know. I'm really surprised he didn't get what he wanted out of him. Well, I haven't finished the story yet. Three days later, Martha Corey was hanged on September 22nd, 1692. It's thought that his prominent and horrific torture was possibly a turning point for Salem, seeing the barbarism on display was a point where they began to think that maybe these witch trials are a little bit much. Mm-hmm. Even though the law said that the estate was still Corey's, George Corwin still tried to extort money from his heirs after the trials so concluded. So he had a plan. He had a plan B. He's going to get some change is yeah. what they're saying. In 1710, Corey's daughter Elizabeth and her husband John Moulton filed a lawsuit against Corwin. In her statement, she said, 
After our father's death, the sheriff threatened to seize our father's estate, and for fear of what we complied with him and paid him 11 pounds, six shillings in money. The spirit of Giles Corey is said to roam the halls of the Joshua Ward house, perhaps despite Corwin for the evils he acted upon him in his living and his death, and to live up to his supposed final words of curse upon the city of Salem. Sounds about right. Another spirit that is said to be seen on the property is that of a witch, which I guess shouldn't be all that much of a surprise. In the 80s, a company by the name of Carlson Realty was having a holiday party when one of their employees used a Polaroid to take a picture so they're your favorite people. Finally! People with a camera. When it developed, what they saw was a dark-haired woman with stark features and extremely pale skin. And here's the picture. This is real? Supposedly. That's the picture. Wow. It looks like that woman, Natasha, what's her name? The woman from uh, The Russian Doll. I don't remember. I hardly even remember that show at all. <laughs> well, she was also in Orange is the New Black. Oh, I remember who you're talking about. I remember the show, but I have no idea what her name was. <laughs> but that's terrifying. It's they said that wasn't creepy. there. They were taking a picture of like a blonde What are they doing? Woman. Just taking a picture of the door? Or there was someone standing there? I think it was cropped because they were taking a picture of the employees at the party. Uh, and this was just there. She just wanted to be in the picture. I don't blame her. Yes, yeah, that's, that's terrifying. I mean, she's looking on point there as a witch. And it is really creepy. And, you know, I haven't used that word in a long time. But I think this applies. You have not. This ghost tends to appear on the second floor of the building, and this seems to be one of the spirits that bucks the trend of liking men. She said to have left scratches on men's chests. Well, probably because they hunger. Could be. <laughs> men will get the feeling of being watched when they're there. I just know that if we go to this place, this thing's definitely going to be showing up in our room and giving me the treatment that you got at the Marshall House. Are you afraid? Of course. <laughs> so I know this is where we'll go if we go to Salem. So but, what? what is it today? Is it a hotel? Yes. It's oh, okay. the Merchant. The okay. Merchant. The Merchant. Merchant. It's a fancy boutique hotel. Okay. I like a boutique hotel. But then there's one more ghost we'll talk about. But before we get into detail on that, let's hear what actually happened to the old high sheriff, George Corwin. Yes. What happened to him? On April 12, 1696, the strangler himself, Corwin, slipped and fell in the snow at his home. He was only 30 years old. You're telling me that picture you showed me, that guy was 30. That's what they say. <laughs> Man, people really didn't rough, age well. Very rough. According to doctors, he had suffered a heart attack. At 30. At 30 years old. Please tell me he was wearing the nightcap and the gown. And no pants, just like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> Not Scrooge McDuck, but Scrooge. <laughs> Do we know that Scrooge wore pants? He didn't. He wore the gown at night. Oh, well, Scrooge McDuck's came up above his tail feathers. So, <laughs> no. you know. He's got like the black slippers and he's like stumbling around in the snow and then just like there's <laughs> this candlestick. Oh, poof. <laughs> That's how I see it happening. Spirit. Heart attack. Philip English, who was a Salem resident who just so happened to be accused of witchcraft during the trials, blocked Corwin's burial. He and his wife, Mary, were both accused, but since they were wealthy, they were able to flee to New York before their trial and forfeited a hefty bond, but ended up saving their lives. 
When they returned to Salem in 1693, they found out that a large portion of their belongings, both from their home and their warehouses, had been confiscated by George Corwin. I think if I'd been accused of witchcraft and I'd escaped it, I don't think I would go back for any reason. I would just... Well, New York is our new home. I would hire some people to go get my stuff. Still a U-Haul something. Like yeah, I but he just, still has all the property and stuff. So well, I would hire a lawyer to go sell it for me. Go get rid of it. Yeah. They'll put you, hang you on a tree, too. Yeah, I'm not going back. English sued to get back his property. So, I mean, he See, does go yeah. to the law. And Corwin promised to return some of the items. But, as you would expect, he didn't keep the promise. He's keeping that candlestick. He can, you mean <laughs> my gold candlestick. English continued suing for several years. But he eventually had his revenge of sorts. Philip put a lien on Corwin's corpse and held up the burial until he had been reimbursed for the property that he had lost to Corwin. And where did they keep a dead body for that extended amount of time back then? That is a good question. One legend, which likely isn't true, is that Corwin's family buried his body in the basement of his home to keep Philip from taking his body, to keep it from being buried, <laughs> to get his money. That might explain why this place is haunted. The more likely true story is that his family interred him in the family tomb on the land and not in the cellar. Either way, the story of the strangler ghost lives on at this house because there have been multiple accounts of people feeling a choking sensation on the second floor. The air is heavier there sometimes making the act of breathing harder. Some have even claimed to feel hands around their neck, choking their airway. So my question to you is, they say they feel this on the second floor. We've also said that on the second floor is where they took the picture of that witch, and so they believe that the spirit of a witch is there. So is it the spirit of Corwin strangling people, or is it maybe the witch who was hanged? getting her vengeance on people, on men. So what do you think it might be? Well, I think it could be either one. Why would the witch be on the second floor any more than he would be? It doesn't make sense, I mean, maybe they I can guess. just go wherever they want. But were any of the witches that were tried and convicted actual witches, or were they just accused of being witches? Well, I mean, maybe that's just their look. I mean, she wasn't wearing a pointy hat. She just had on a black dress. They probably all wore black dresses. I imagine they weren't extra fancy at this time yeah. in American history. Yeah, they just in wore this plain black very sackcloth. religious area, <laughs> just sackcloth. <laughs> the ones that weren't wearing you know, like the nightcaps and the candlesticks and <laughs> That's such. That's how the men dressed. <laughs> so now that you've heard about this place, how do you feel about visiting Salem, Massachusetts? I'm feeling really optimistic about it, and I'm wondering if Maroon Five ever stayed there and wrote that hit. It's getting harder and harder to breathe. Okay, that, that was, was like a, their breakout song. That that could that does sort of make sense. I Maybe the whole thing was all about I can think Salem, of. Massachusetts. That's all I could think of. So I think we should go. Well, let's do it. And see if like that song echoes through the hallways, then we'll know for sure. I've got to invest in a nightcap and a candlestick holder though. Yeah, we definitely need that. <laughs> for sure. And I'll get a black sackcloth. And do your hair up all frizzy. Yeah, I'll just frizz my hair out. And let it be brunette. Oh, I'll draw the line there. Okay, we're not going to sail. <laughs> Tune in next time.